Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. London, England. Home to everyone who is anyone, from Paddington Bear to the Queen. This great capital has stood at the forefront of industry and culture for a millennia. Best known for our dry wit and wet weather, it is really the people and history of London that make this city so great. We're bringing you a comprehensive guide of all things to see and do in London. From food and drink to unique local attractions, follow us on a journey through this capital steeped in history and discover the hidden wonders of this magnificent city. This is Discover London. I'm Olivia Cox. And I'm Derek O'Reilly. And together we're going to take you on a tour of London. Today we are visiting Covent Garden, an area well known for its street performers, restaurants and bars, as well as its many theatres and independent shops. Hey, Derek. For our first stop, we're off to meet David Charnick, who is going to tell us all about the history of the theatres within Covent Garden. Let's talk about where we actually are now, the Royal Opera House. The present building dates from 1858, and it's the third largest auditorium in London. It can accommodate 2,256 people. It's a dedicated opera house, as the name suggests, but also uh, a large repertoire of ballet performances go on here too. Not far from here on the Strand, you have the Savoy Theatre, which was actually constructed before the Savoy Hotel. It was created to promote British performance, uh, particularly operetta, you know, the, the light form of opera. There's quite a few plays in the West End that have been going a long time. Which is the longest running? Well, you're talking about Agatha Christie's play The Mousetrap, which is on the uh, St. Martin's Theatre. That's been going since the 1950s, um, so it's about 63 years now. It will be the longest running play ever, as long as it carries on running, because of course nothing can overtake it until such time as they stop. Nearby, there is, on Cranbourne Street, a memorial to Agatha Christie, which was opened on the 60th anniversary of the opening of The Mousetrap. Possibly the most famous uh, person to perform at Covent Garden was a man called Joseph Grimaldi. We remember Grimaldi as the man who created the Joey, the white-faced clown. He was the first person to whiten his face and then pick out the details with makeup. Now, Grimaldi was famous for the Christmas pantomime at Drury Lane, and they didn't have one here. 
but they actually created a tradition of Christmas pantomime to lure him here, which shows what a draw he actually was, you know. One of the things as a taxi driver I drop off many times, as you can imagine, at these theatres, I'm always intrigued as to how some of them got their names. Well, the Garrick is associated with Davy Garrick, who was an 18th century actor. He was a pioneer of a more naturalistic style of acting. He became exceedingly famous, and as a result of that, he's become associated with uh, the theatre. Probably the most intriguing name is the Theatre Royal Drury Lane, which isn't in Drury Lane. No, I understand um, that, yeah. yeah. It started as the Theatre Royal Bridges Street, the very first uh, theatre on that site in 1663, uh, which faced the way the modern theatre does onto Catherine Street. It was only there till about 1672 when it was decided a new, bigger theatre should be built. So they built a new one and they turned it round, so it faced Drury Lane. The current building is the fourth building on the site, dates from 1812, and it's the first one to reintroduce the original orientation. But by that time, the name Theatre Royal Drury Lane was so well known, they thought, well, why bother changing it back? <laughs> A short walk from the Opera House is the London Film Museum, which currently has an exhibition of all things 007. My name is Jonathan Sands and I'm founder and chief executive of the London Film Museum. Well, the museum started in 2008 and it originally started as a broad-based celebration of film and a celebration of the talent within the film industries. Bond in Motion exhibition is the largest official collection of original James Bond vehicles and it celebrates over 50 years now of James Bond and it presents all the original vehicles and artefacts from the E.ON archives, E.ON being the production company that produced the James Bond uh, films. There's various different um, iconic pieces from the Wet Nelly Underwater Lotus to Goldfinger's original Rolls-Royce Phantom III, which is on display. We have the fabulous Silver Cloud from A View to a Kill, which obviously uh, Zoran uh, pushes into the lake uh, with Tibbet inside. This was originally Cubby Broccoli's personal car that he lent to the production, hence the fact that there's a Cub 1 number plate on it. Have you driven any? Uh, I might have done to get them in here. Back <laughs> of the job. <laughs> How do you choose which vehicles are here? Because presumably there's more than one in each film. First of all, there's, there's availability, so not everything was kept from when the film was made. But, you know, the key element is that every film is represented and we then build upon that layers and layers of items, such as the storyboard from that particular vehicle um, or the costume that uh, Bond or the, or the villain would use in that particular scene. Can I push you into a corner and ask yeah, you your favourite Bond? I knew that question was coming. <laughs> uh, well, because I grew up on Roger Moore, I've got to say Roger Moore. Um, although uh, I love everything Bond, but Roger Moore specifically because it was so instrumental in my growing up when that Lotus went into the water was almost life-changing to see that a car can do that and, and change. You know, that's, that's something that sort of opens your mind up. So, uh, yeah, I, I would say Roger Moore. 
Do you have anything really unusual here that we might not have noticed? There are smaller items that are on display that are absolutely fascinating. One such uh, exhibit is the miniature DB5, third scale DB5 from Skyfall. Because uh, a lot of the special effects in Bond are still created with what's known as practical effects, which is physical objects rather than uh, computer-generated graphics, they create miniatures and they create miniature sets of things to, to create the effect. So the third scale DB5 is absolutely scaled perfect. That's on display. And they obviously blow that up rather than uh, an actual size, you know, uh, vehicle. How long will this exhibition be here? Well, at the moment, uh, Bond in Motion is open indefinitely. Um, as long as people keep coming and they keep enjoying it, we'll keep it, we'll keep it running. We are now off at a more relaxed pace to the National Portrait Gallery to meet Media Relations Manager Neil Evans. The history of the National Portrait Gallery starts in 1840s um, when it was suggested by uh, one of the trustees, um, Earl Stanhope, that there should be a National Portrait Gallery and it was raised in Parliament and it was given consent by Queen Victoria and it was founded in 1856. In 1969, the history of the National Portrait Gallery had a very big milestone. Unless you were the reigning monarch, you had to be dead. So Roy Strong changed those rules and said, why don't we have people on the walls who are alive today? And so what you saw in that time was a much wider range of people, and that policy continues to this day. The National Portrait Gallery continues to acquire portraits and it also commissions portraits. Recently we've had uh, portraits painted of Dame Maggie Smith, the actress, Gail Reebuck, the publisher, and Dame uh, Sally Davis, the chief medical officer, which gives you an idea of the range of people that the gallery collects to put on its walls. On display in the National Portrait Gallery are about 10% of the gallery's collection, which is absolutely huge. So we obviously don't have the room to display everything. So what's great about that is that there's always new things for people to see. And then if people want to see portraits that aren't on the walls, then of course the website has the great majority of them. And also lots of our exhibitions, lots of our portraits tour Britain and tour internationally. Very recently, we had a, an exchange programme with Moscow. Um, we had an exhibition called Russia and the Arts. The interest in Russian-related things at the moment is vast. Um, and we had uh, an exhibition of portraits from the Trechikov Gallery, 23 of their major portraits of people like Tolstoy and Tchaikovsky. Um, and then in return, we sent uh, a few of our portraits, which the Trechikov visitors could see, such as Shakespeare and Dickens. So there's a lot of um, cooperation of loans of portraits between different countries. We have the BP Portrait Award, which is the biggest portrait painting competition in the world. And uh, thousands and thousands of people enter it. And 55 of the top portraits go into an exhibition, which can be seen for free. So that's one of the main exhibitions that are bringing uh, visitors to the National Portrait Gallery this summer. The portraits here at the National Portrait Gallery surprise a lot of people. In the room that we're in here now, we probably fulfil the view that a lot of people might have who've not come in here, that the portraits are of people looking rather important with wigs. But there's much more to it in this gallery than that. Um, anything that is a portrait, the gallery is, is interested in collecting. So that could be a photograph, it could be a sculpture, it could be a video installation, it could be something on a computer loop. It could be um, an artist's head made of his own frozen blood. If it's a portrait, we're interested in collecting it. 
Grade 1 building, situated in the heart of London, was once the home to one of the founding fathers of the United States, Benjamin Franklin. A meeting with the house's director, Marcia Beliciano. Benjamin Franklin arrived at 36 Craven Street in July of 1757. The house is located between the River Thames and the Strand. And it- One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. In fact, it's one of the reasons why Franklin chose the house was because it is equidistant between the city of London, the financial center, and the city of Westminster, where Parliament is the seat of power. The house is the world's only remaining Benjamin Franklin home. Benjamin Franklin had a strong interest in politics and also in science. As a scientist, he was pursuing scientific inventions here in the house that uh, had interested him over a long period, including electricity. Probably his most famous discovery is that lightning is an electrical phenomenon. He said that he went out into a thunderstorm with his son, he took his kite, he attached a key to a string, and he drew the lightning from the sky down to the key, and that was how he determined that lightning was an electrical phenomenon. It wasn't just the will of God. This house served as the first de facto American embassy. Anyone who was anyone calling in from the colonies came to pay their respects to Franklin, and his main mission was to try and find a third way between the interests of the colony and the interests of the crown. So in a sense, Franklin was chief lobbyist for the colonies. He didn't have any formal role in Parliament, although he did have a a formal position on behalf of the Crown as postmaster for the colonies. So he had to try and convince and win over um, without any formal powers. 
The area is famous for its street performers and theatres, so it's only natural that the church at the centre, St Paul's, is also known as the Actors Church. I've actually been a priest for 25 years. My name's Simon Gregg, and uh, for the last 10 years, I've had the great privilege of being rector here at St Paul's, and I've long-standing interest in the theatre. In fact, I was, a, I was a child actor, and so it was, um, it was something that I really, really wanted to do, and I was lucky enough to, um, to come and be here. So it's, it's wonderful. It's kind of dream come true for me, really. The church was actually um, built in 1631. The fourth Duke of Bedford, who laid out what is now the piazza in Covent Garden, realised he would need a church. So he commissioned Inigo Jones, who was an architect but also a stage designer, um, to build a church. But he didn't particularly want to spend a lot of money, so he said, in fact, I wouldn't have it much better than a barn. And so Inigo Jones says, then you will have the handsomest barn in England. So here it is, the handsomest barn in England. The designation of it as the Actors' Church really goes back to um, the restoration of the monarchy in 1660. And Charles II licensed two uh, theatres. They were known as the patent theatres. Those patent theatres moved the focus of theatre, which had been, of course, down on the South Bank in the Elizabethan, Jacobethan period, but that moved to the West End because those patent theatres were here in the West End in this parish. So the link goes back right the way to there, right through to today. And as you can see, so many of the greats of the profession have their memorial plaques here in St Paul's. We have our own uh, in-house professional theatre company called Iris Theatre, and they do a number of productions through the year. The productions are interesting because they are promenade productions, so the audience move through the garden and move into the church, usually for the finale of the play. We also, of course, have our own in-house orchestra, the Orchestra of St Paul's, um, but a number of um, orchestras and choirs um, come and sing and play. We just did the statistics for last year. We did 425 events last year, so we're really busy. One of our recent projects, we just did the 60th anniversary gala concert of My Fair Lady because the opening scene of My Fair Lady, of course, takes place on the portico outside the church. And that's to raise money for um, our latest project, which is to improve disabled access to the church for the whole community. That's kind of the next, the next goal. Now we're heading to a world-famous hotel, just off the Strand. Good morning, welcome to the Savoy. My name is Sean Davron. I'm the very lucky person to be the head butler at the Savoy. I have a team of 28 butlers to make sure that your stay is perfect. I don't know who I'm going to meet and what they might require, but giving you an example that happened this weekend, we had a bride and she spilled coffee on her wedding dress. We have to take over that situation, deal with it and make it better. And of course we did. Was the dress perfect? The bride thought so. <laughs> 
The hotel was built in 1889. This hotel, particularly for women, was a great changing point. This is the first hotel that had, first of all, running water, hot and cold, had electricity, had ascending rooms. Now, ascending rooms now are known as lifts or elevators. It is the first hotel where women were seen out in public, dining and eating. And actually, uh, Caesar Ritz was the first general manager. He actually changed the tablecloths to pink to complement the ladies' complexion. We have two uh, bars in the hotel, our American bar, which is actually opened in 1929, and it's one of the first cocktail bars in uh, London. We also have created our Beaufort bar, which has equally become very important to people because it's live cabaret, and that just opens in the evening, so it's more of an evening bar. Our two bars have been voted the best bars in the world, we're in the top 50. So those accolades to have two bars uh, of that calibre in one hotel is very unusual. How important are British traditions being kept in the hotel? Well, it's so funny how, how afternoon tea has evolved. Of course, after, uh, it's a very British thing, and it was always a bit of a ladies' thing. Do you know what's happening now also? Businessmen are having afternoon tea instead of having lunch, which is a new trend again. It is quite a relaxing thing to do, but it is one way of coming to savour the beauty of our hotel or the ambience of our hotel, um, and it is a lovely way to spend an afternoon. But of course, like everything else, nothing ever stands still. You're always trying to find something new and innovative uh, to encourage people to come back. It is one of the iconic hotels in the world because when you mention the Savoy anywhere, they know where it is. In the archives in the museum, we had uh, to the best hotel in the world and the letter arrived at the Savoy. <laughs> Next door to the Savoy is Simpsons in the Strand, an historical restaurant that represents a great British tradition. Roast meats carved at your table. So welcome in Simpsons in the Strand. My name is Nick. I'm currently one of the supervisors here for the Knights Bar and the Grand Divan, which is our restaurant. We are located uh, on the Strand next to Savoy Hotel. It's a short walk from Charing Cross Station or Covent Garden Station. We are known for the traditional British dishes, um, for example, a famous Sunday roast, um, and there are various different British items you will find on our menu. We are a traditional restaurant, therefore we stick on to a lot of silver serving, but also different uh, traditional serving styles. Additionally, we have a group of carvers running around the restaurant, serving the different tables where we serve the traditional roast beef carved on the table site. The carving table site is so unique. We actually transferred this into a uh, workshop or a lecture. So our master cook will teach the different guests who sign up for this course the unique skills of how to carve the perfect roast beef or roast lamb. And then afterwards, we continue with the lunch where they get to invite some of their family members or other guests they would like to invite. And then they can actually practice their skills along the table for their own guests. So Simpsons in the Strand was established in 1828 by a gentleman called Samuel Rees. He originally started as a gentleman's club where 
people used to come over to have a cigar or talk about politics and also play a game of chess. And then in 1848, a gentleman called John Simpsons joined the team. John Simpsons was a well-known caterer in London. Um, and in 1848, John Simpson introduced the carving. One of our famous patrons back in the days was Winston Churchill. You get to have the experience just as he had this because we did not change anything downstairs in the Grand Divan. Because we are listed, we're not allowed to change anything. So whenever you come here to dine, you would have an experience such as Winston Churchill. Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.